0: were to ask you for the name of one famous ancient Egyptian, I wonder whose name you would come up with. I think for many people the name that would spring to mind would be Tutankhamun. Probably the most famous pharaoh. Even though before 1922, he was virtually unknown. In that year, the archaeologist Michael Carter uncovered his tomb. And not just a tomb, but within the tomb, many treasures. And not just treasures, but within the tomb, an inner sanctuary, and within the inner sanctuary a sarcophagus and within the sarcophagus the greatest find of all the remains of the young king and still today you can visit his tomb in ancient Egypt you can see how it was and you can view the remains in museums around the world there was another Ancient ruler in Egypt, however, whose name may also have come to your mind. A man not born an Egyptian, but who rose in Egypt to become prominent, indeed the prime minister of the people. And such was his influence that he was buried in Egypt with the full patronage of the time. The strange thing is, that if today you were somehow able to discover his tomb, if you were able to excavate the tomb of Joseph, you would not find his bones. Seems a strange assertion. But as we continue our series, Living by Faith, tonight, we discover that before the death of Joseph, he gave certain instructions concerning his remains. By faith, we read, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke concerning the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. The result, that centuries later, when leaving Egypt, Israel excavated his remains and took them to the promised land. And as we shall see, this apparently strange series of events, was in fact a great act of faith on behalf of Joseph. Because as we will see, his faith was not foolish, it was ultimately fulfilled. Hence the sermon title this evening, Faith and Fulfillment. So turn with me this evening to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22. We selected this as part of our series before the baptism. You might be wondering how it fits in. Well, you'll see the connections as we go along. Hebrews 11 verse 22. It may also help to have your finger in Genesis chapter 50 where the original story is found. Genesis 50:22 for cross-reference, but our main text Hebrews 11:22. And I'd like us to consider this verse this evening under three headings. And first of all, we need to set it within its broad context. We need to ask, when did this faith occur? And the answer is, at the time of the death of Joseph. Verse 22 begins, by faith, Joseph when his end was near. Literally, at the time of his completion. Another translation paraphrases, when he was about to die. That's the sense of it. And so the occasion, the place, the time, for Joseph's faith to be exercised, was at the very end of his days on the very last day, and in the very final hour. And therefore you might think it a rather strange selection when you consider that in Hebrews chapter 11, this great patriarch Joseph gets but one mention, and the only thing that the author says is this, that he should bypass all the achievements of Joseph, the life of faith that he had lived, fast-forwarding just to the moments of his death. It's rather like speaking of Winston Churchill and omitting his prime ministership and everything else he did and saying he died. I mean, couldn't the author have said, for instance, that by faith, Joseph was sold into slavery by betraying brothers, and yet he did not give up on God? Couldn't the author have said, with his knowledge of Genesis, That by faith, once in Egypt, Joseph resisted temptation. He refused to sleep with his master's wife. He feared God even to the point of imprisonment. Couldn't he have said that by faith, when Joseph rose to prominence in Egypt, he provided food for those dying from famine? And most conspicuous by its absence, could he not have said that by faith, Joseph later forgave his brothers that he did not put them to an end when he had the opportunity. Well, he could have said all of those things. But what he said was verse 22. Why? What is so significant about this event, this particular context of his death? And part of the answer must surely be to consider this within the wider sweep of Hebrews 11. Remember, this is a picture gallery showing us various snapshots of faith. A gallery which shows us faith at work and fully sufficient in every area of life, in every situation, in life and in death and in every situation between You see, the author's point is that faith doesn't just help you at the start of the road. It doesn't even just help you in the middle of the road. It is even sufficient at the end of the road, in the final trial, the ultimate crisis. Faith perseveres. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. Because maybe this doesn't seem the right stuff for a joyous occasion of a baptism. Maybe you think this unnecessarily heavy. And it's true that it is. But it is also true, is it not, that in coming into the presence of death and dying, this has a unique ability to sharpen the mind, to direct attention to the things of faith. You're just going along quite fine with no thought for eternal things, no thought for God. And it really makes no odds to you what you believe. And wham! Phone call. Relative. Friend. Seriously ill. Or has died. And as you're standing by that bedside, or by that grave site, it suddenly forces you to face the reality of your own mortality. And you begin to ask, what do I really believe? Is there anything beyond, or is this it? It's a sobering place, and yet it is often a saving place, because it brings us to consider eternal things. And maybe as we come tonight, as it were, to the bedside of this dying saint, Joseph, it's the most appropriate place to consider what you believe. Maybe this is a wake-up call for you. Robert Murray McShane, Peter mentioned him this morning, was a young Scottish pastor who lived a few hundred years ago. And he became a Christian through his older brother. His older brother, David, was a few years older than him, and he was a keen Christian. And when McShane was just 17 years old, and David was 25, his brother died. It had an enormous impact on Robert. And for the first time he asked, what do I really believe? By the end of that year, a year of soul searching, he was a Christian. And some years later, on the anniversary of his brother's death, he wrote in his journal something about it every year. He said, this day, 11 years ago, I lost a much-loved brother and began to seek a brother who cannot die? As we come to consider the faith of the dying, you see, it has that effect to bring us to the place of faith in Christ. So the broad context then is the death of Joseph. But within this context and on this particular occasion, we notice a second thing. We go from the broad context to the general content of what Joseph said. And what he said concerned the departure of Israel. By faith, we read on, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. He spoke of Israel's departure. That's what exodus means. And the reason he was speaking about this subject was not because he just decided to choose it at random. It's not as if he's in delirium and it just so happened that this topic came up. Joseph was in his right mind and in fact he was recollecting fully some words his father had said many years earlier. And his father to him and his father to him. Back in Genesis chapter 15, when Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham is addressed by God. The Lord had said, know for certain... That your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation, they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out. And the promise was handed down from generation to generation, from father to son. What Peter was speaking about this morning, if you were here. Lasting legacies. Passing on what really matters to your children. The words of God. Even though at this point the promise seemed nonsensical. Because Joseph's family were esteemed in Egypt. However, would they be enslaved? And even if they were enslaved, would this not be improbable? How would they be freed from a tyrannical ruler Joseph though doesn't try to figure out all the naughty problems he just passes down the deposit he says I don't understand everything that's going to happen but it's going to happen believe me the Lord has said and you know on this Father's Day for the dads particularly that's our job on this day when we put our feet up for one day in the year it's a reminder Of our responsibilities the rest of the time. And is it not, first and foremost, to speak the things about God and His promises to our children? Wonderful to tell them about all the other things, increase their general knowledge. My dad was always impressing me by how clever he was with general knowledge. He still does. But most importantly, and I say this as one who fails often, do we have some words from the Word? For our children. If we do it now. Then maybe in the final day. We will have opportunity. And you know it's a wonderful thing. Isn't it from Joseph's example. That there is not only a ministry to the dying. Important as that is. But there is also a ministry of the dying. To the living. It's a precious ministry. When in 60 years or in six months, who knows? You lie on the verge of glory and you have a final ministry to discharge. Charles Spurgeon was another great pastor from several centuries ago. He ministered in London, and Spurgeon sat beside many a bedside of a dying person. He was a great minister, but he often wrote about the ministry of dying saints to him. Here's what he wrote. I have come down many times from the sick chamber of those members of this church who are now in the upper house and I have done so with faith confirmed and joy increased. Those beloved ones have given me more strength and assurance than I ever derived from the study of the ablest works in my library. They were sometimes very poor but I remember well the glories of the little room where they were disrobing for the beatific vision. Their heavenly serenity, varied with bursts of joy, has driven all my fears away. Some have been wasted with disease and racked with pain till it seemed almost impossible that an original thought could have come from them. And yet their speech has been fresh and new an inspired utterance, far excelling poetry. They spoke what they were seeing what they were enjoying. For the jeweled gates were set open to them and they peered within and turned round and told us a little of what they saw. I was thinking this week, is there anything better than listening to testimonies here at baptisms? And as I was reflecting on this text, I thought there is something marginally better. And that is sitting at the bedside Of a saint who has walked with God their whole lives. Who is still testifying to the grace of God and the goodness of God to them. So the general content of Joseph speaking was the departure of Israel. Within this context of the death of Joseph. And there's a final piece yet to add at the end of the verse. This specific command which then comes relating to the deportation of bones. The verse concludes that he also spoke concerning the Exodus and he gave instructions about his bones. Might seem rather bizarre. Who would want their bones excavated and moved after their death? There's a church in Stratford and Avon where you can still visit the tombstone of William Shakespeare. And on the stone is a poem. Which was inscribed by, written by Shakespeare himself before his death. The poem reads, Good friend, for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed. Blessed be the man who spares these stones, and cursed be he who moves my bones. Now it's hardly Shakespeare's best poetry, and I've not read a lot of it. But I don't think he was aiming for poetry as much as for clarity. Don't tamper with my remains, he says. Why would Joseph want his bones moved? And I want to suggest three possibilities as we come to the end of this study. First of all, no doubt, it was to express certainty. It is one thing to speak about the Exodus as a far-flung event. It is quite another to be so certain of it, that you give accompanying instructions about it. So that person who fills out their last will and testimony, they give instructions on the basis of the certainty of their own passing. You see, the instruction shows their conviction. And you see this emerge in the original account. In Genesis 50-22, we see this twice reported Phrase, God will, note the word, surely come to your aid and take you up from this land. And such is my conviction, says Joseph, that when you go, take my bones with you. Secondly, I think it was also to express contrast. Because although Joseph was born a Jew... And though he did not worship the gods of the Egyptians, nevertheless, he lived most of his adult life in Egypt. And he was a prominent Egyptian. And no doubt, buried as he was in the Egyptian fashion, embalmed in fact, with such a history that people would have remembered, he could easily have become enshrined as an Egyptian. So that over the years, people would forget his Jewishness, and say, he was one of us. And therefore, like his father before him, to prevent any such confusion, Joseph gives instructions to be buried in the promised land. To express contrast. And then thirdly, and perhaps the main reason, I think, would have been to evoke courage. Joseph didn't give these instructions for his own sake. There was nothing superstitious about it. As if Joseph was personally bothered about what square foot of land he was buried in. No, Joseph's desire was to encourage future descendants. Future generations. And to provide his descendants with a tangible means of remembering the promises of God. Just imagine the scene. Just envisage this in your mind. Let's say it's 300 years into the captivity Of Israel in Egypt. One hundred years before any sign of any hope. Picture two Jewish slaves. And there they are making bricks as they do every single day. To fuel the Egyptian building projects. In the heat of the day. And one of them has just been beaten. As happens fairly frequently. And his friend is trying to think very hard of some word of comfort. A little granule of hope to give to him. And this thought comes to his mind. He says, see that, that building over there? That's Joseph's tomb. You know his bones are still there. And do you know that he made his children promise to do something? He said, one day when God frees us from captivity, we should take up his bones into the promised land. Imagine that, he would say. Maybe it's true, he would add. Maybe there's hope. And courage would slowly fill their hearts as they remembered the promises of God. And you know, it's all because Joseph testified in the face of death. All because he spoke and he looked forward and he testified to the promises of God. You know, it's a strange thing to do that, isn't it? For most people who think that there is nothing that lies beyond death, for them, they can only consider looking back. And yet the believer can look forward beyond death. And they can turn around and tell a little of what they are seeing. And you know, that's why Joseph is here. To be an inspiration to us, even in the face of his death. Everyone here needs a Joseph to inspire us in our faith. very personal illustration that came to mind as I was thinking of this. I wear two rings in my hands pretty much all the time. Occasionally this one's getting a bit tight, so I take it off. But this is my wedding ring in this hand. It reminds me of my covenant in marriage. This ring in this hand is my grandfather's ring. He died eight years ago. Gave the three grandsons his three rings. It's not a superstitious thing that I wear it, actually, but every now and then you kind of notice it, you know, when you're typing on your keyboard. Reminds me of life. Death even. And you know, we need heroes like that. Joseph. And it wasn't wishful thinking on Joseph's part. You know, his faith was Fulfilled. As you turn from Genesis, just over the page, into Exodus, you see it all come to fruition. It wasn't wishful thinking. God kept his promise to the nation. Israel were enslaved. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and increased in number. And then a new king who did not know Joseph came to power in Egypt and they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And after 400 years, led by Moses, freed by miracles, Israel departed Egypt. And in Exodus thirteen nineteen, we read this amazing, staggering verse. How the nation kept its promise to Joseph. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. God fulfills his promises. Faith in God never fails because God is faithful. We're almost through as we come to conclusion. At the beginning, I spoke about Egyptian tombs, and I said that Joseph's tomb, if you found it in Egypt anyway, would be empty. But you know, in the Bible, there is another empty tomb, and it follows an empty cross, and it is the ground for our hope, the tomb not of Joseph, but of Jesus, After his death on the cross, when he paid the price for our sins, our rebellion against God, when he was punished for our rebellion, when that was over, his body was placed in a tomb. And yet it did not see decay. Because three days later he arose from the tomb. And when some women came early on the third day, they saw that the stone was removed. And an angel asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Not because his bones had been moved. He has risen. And therefore, because of Jesus' departure, and I finish with this, there can be hope for your departure on the final day. Life beyond death. When your body that goes down into the waters of death is raised and transformed to breathe the fresh air of heaven through Christ and only through him. Will that be the case for you? It can only be the case when you put your faith and trust in him. Our last hymn says what I pray might be the cry of all our hearts tonight. Even in the deathbed, In Christ alone, my hope is found. It says, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. It says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. It says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Let us pray and then we'll sing together.